0: Hey, Bills Mafia,
1: we know there's only one topic every day,
0: all Bills all the time. And now Matt Bovee and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking Bills all year long, because it's always game day in Buffalo. All right, so how was covering a game with the uh, lower body injury for you? (laughs) You know what? I was just out there doing my 111th because (laughs) iron sharpens iron, and I needed to be out there for my team. Wasn't my best performance, but did enough to get there and cover the game. So no complaints. My scooter came in clutch though, but I got to say anybody who's been at the stadium, there's a lot of like downhill slopes at the stadium, Yeah, yeah. yeah. And ri- riding that knee scooter down those slopes seemed like it would be a great fun idea until you hit a rock and then you almost flip the damn thing. And then basically I would have had both feet wow. broken. So I was just trying to cool it a little bit. I was having too much fun before the game. So then like once the game started and I needed to get down to the tunnel and go do the interviews and stuff, I was like, okay, I really got to take this slow. So just the hand was on the break the entire time. While You, in a lot of ways, kind of are, are
1: a uh, metaphor for what the bills did on the field. Right. I mean, like did just enough, didn't have your best a game, but yeah. still wound up winning. They did 27, 17. Bills beat the Packers on Sunday night football. Sal Capaccio, Matt Bove, it's always game day in Buffalo. Thanks for joining us here, downloading the uh, podcast. You do it all the time. Make sure you subscribe. You'll get it always uploaded right to wherever you pod. We appreciate that. All right, so 27-17. And I I guess you walk away from this game feeling, I don't know about you, Matt, you tell me, but kind of like a little bit not satisfied. Uh, Josh mm-hmm. Allen kind of said the same thing, just he wasn't very happy with his performance. Um, there was a lot of meat left on the bone and, you know, I think, you know, coaches always want the perfect game, right? You always want to play the perfect game, but honestly, if you could win a game, especially by 10 points and still have a lot of things to correct, that's good for a coach because then you can get back in the work and say, look guys, we got a
0: lot of stuff to clean up here. I think my biggest takeaway from the game, I think the Packers right now are an average NFL team. I think mm-hmm. they have a quarterback who is capable of making them above average because of the plays that he can make. He's still really, really good. Yeah. He doesn't have the weapons that they have. The Packers' pass defense is good. Like they're the best pass defense in the NFL by some of the metrics right now. So I think from the Bills' standpoint, it shows that they can play a game where they make a lot of mistakes and they're very sloppy. And they can still win against teams that are average, maybe slightly above average, and then the below average teams in the NFL. It was not a perfect day whatsoever, but I do think they did enough to win. They did enough to put up 27 points, which is more than they've had in a couple other games. The thing that's concerning to me is that they only scored three points in the second half. The turnovers are the big reason why. I mean, they took points off the board with both of those Josh Allen interceptions, especially the second one, because they were down in the red zone. I I have a theory on this, and nobody will ever tell us if this is true or not, but I think that they were so fired up with the digs Jair Alexander nonsense that was going on that they were trying to attack and attack and attack. And it forced them into making some sloppy plays that they might have not otherwise made. So I think that they were being overly aggressive because they were so amped up. They were so fired up. And it ultimately cost them. But you could just tell after the game, like Josh Allen just won 27 17 in a primetime game against Aaron Rodgers. And he looked upset. He looked frustrated and angry. And it was because he knew that he made mistakes. So I think that's just the level the bills are at. Like we have things to be critical. We have things to criticize and they won by 10 points in a primetime game. Like they almost covered, they were a half point away from covering the spread.
1: Another double digit victory. I mean, like they're just such a big favorite that, you know, he still win by 10 points. You don't even cover by a half a point. I'm not going to disagree with you about the being aggressive thing. I think that you know they wanted to beat Jair. They wanted to beat that secondary. Stefan Diggs. I love when Stefan Diggs has an edge though. I mean he he just oh, he brings yeah. that attitude with him. he's He takes it even to another level. And the numbers were there again over a hundred yards, obviously, at the touchdown. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. I think that they're pressing a little bit. Maybe it's maybe not quite seeing the forest through the trees like the trees in this case are you know, we want, we're mad at this guy and we're chirpy here and we're chippy and you know, we're winning. So let's be aggressive and let's attack and the forest is let's do what we have to, to win this game. You know, you go back, you go to that fourth quarter, Matt, and the bills get the ball. They're comfortably in the lead by 17 points. And they just start, they throw on the first three possessions down in their own end through first three plays. Excuse me. That I didn't love that play calling. And then the execution wasn't there on top of it. Luckily they get bailed out with a penalty early on, but then they still wind up stalling in the drive anyway. And as you said, you know, Josh Rose, the two fourth quarter interceptions by the way. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't love that part of it. I didn't love the play calling to close out the game. I didn't love the execution to close out the game, but here we are talking about what we didn't like in a 10 point victory. I was in the press box late, late at night uh, doing my column. And I saw Dan Graziano of ESPN And sometimes I think we're so close to the situation. Maybe we don't even realize how good this team is. And we're, we're nitpicking these things. And he looked at me and said, my gosh, they they didn't even play that well in the second half. And they still beat Aaron Rodgers by 10 points. That's how good they are.
0: Yeah, exactly. I actually, going back to your point about, The play calling in the second half and especially that drive. So I'm sitting there in the press box when that's happening. And I looked over at my colleague, Brian Aldridge, and I was like, they're going to take a kill shot. They always do this. The minute they go up 17, they're going to take a deep shot. And wouldn't you know, they tried to hit a deep shot right down the sideline and it was incomplete. I didn't have any issue with the play calling and them still passing the ball because that is their bread and butter. I had an issue with the execution, but I know conventional wisdom would say, okay, you're up 17 points. Let the clock bleed, run it, take some first downs. But I don't think they ever for a second were concerned about the Packers getting back into this game, the way they were playing and the way that they were just running the ball, like just taking time and time and time to get down the fields. That made no sense to me. We'll talk about that more later, but I don't have an issue with them continuing to pass the ball. I know there are some people out there who are like, Oh, in the playoffs, you're going to need to run the ball. And it's like, well, but no. here's what bothered me,
1: Matt. Here's why what it bothered okay. me. I agree. I agree with everything you said, but they were running so effectively. Like that was still the path to victory. They ran for over five yards of carry 5.7, Devin Singletary 4.8. It wasn't like, hey, let's just try and bleed the clock. It's they can also gain yards. They were running the ball really well.
0: But it felt like they stopped running the ball really well after the first two drives. Like they ran the ball at will down the field with Devin Singletary, especially. And then after that, they started to basically just be the bills again. They started to just pass the ball. So they were running effectively. But I think they were only running effectively in the beginning of the game. I would have to look at kind of the play by play breakdown and see what happened in the second half. But it felt like in the second half, they couldn't get anything going. I know there were a couple big, like four yard losses for Singletary on first down, where it just put them in second and 14 right off the bat. I think that happened on back to back drives. So I think that they were kind of like, listen, we tried it and it wasn't really working. I will say one thing that really did stand out to me it feels like James Cook has taken himself out of the doghouse a little bit and back into the the good graces of the coaching staff, because I do think it's something that he was the guy that was out there for a lot of the fourth quarter. He had the big 41 yard catch that was down the sideline, really nice play. And then he was also out there when they were trying to seal away the game, they were trying to run out the clock at the end. So I I think that that's something, I think maybe that means they're starting to trust him a bit more. Yeah, you're actually right. I'm doing the numbers now. 153
1: total on the game. 107 in the first half. That gets you to 46 in the second half. 46 yeah. on 14 carries is only 3.2 yards a carry. So you're right. After like the first half, they didn't run the ball as well. And I think that the Packers made a couple adjustments as well. Um, but the Bills obviously did what they had to do to win the game. Josh Allen was not happy with his performance, but let's break that down. Um, I, I don't think he played his best game. He still made a few clutch throws, had the touchdown, obviously to seven eggs where I think Josh really did a nice job was running the ball in this game. There weren't designed runs either. He was scrambling. There were a couple of times though, that where I thought he should have made a different decision to actually run for a first down when he decided to throw. It looked like there was, there was stuff in front of him, but he decided to throw the
0: ball. Yeah, the first interception, it looks like he could have probably ran for the first down, but instead he was trying to force it. So it's weird because there are a lot of people who say, hey, stop running so much. Stop taking so many hits. Get out of bounds. There was an opportunity to probably run for a first down, but he tried to force a throw. I just don't think he saw him there. I'm not. The worst one is the second interception. That's the one that bothers me. That's the one that probably bothers most people, including Josh Allen. He said after he was just trying to dirt it, he was trying to throw it into the ground. He didn't get it low enough, whatever. I think this game and the feeling of this game is very different. If that's an incomplete pass and not an interception and they win 30 to 17 and he only has the one pick because then people are like, wow, yeah, he had that one interception. He forced it. Offense wasn't very good, did enough to win. But the fact that there was another interception, especially where it happened on the field in the red zone after a huge play to James cook, that's what I think rubbed people the wrong way. Like, and when we say, once again, we this team is, ve- they're six and one, mm-hmm. we are being critical and nitpicky <laughs> here because we have to, like, this is a team that we think can win the super bowl. So you got to talk about all these little fine details because it's a long season and because there's going to be times down the road when these issues might pop up again. So nobody's pressing the panic button, or at least I don't think no, they are. No, it's just, I think you just, the, the way the game started, the way it was going
1: just to kind of turn the other way a little bit, it didn't, it wasn't the great way to close it out, but that's okay. Uh, it's a, they're six of one, like you said, and a, a really golden opportunity to get the seven one at the jets, which we'll talk about a little bit later before we um, head to the defense. Let's just wrap up on the offense here. Devin Singletary did run the wall well again. And I went back and looked back 5.06 yards of carry. Over the last four games, um, James Cook sprinkled in there. You know, I, what did you think of just the, uh, the way that the offense functioned when they had to, and when they wanted to run the ball early on, when they made a purpose out of it?
0: I think it was a, I think it's a step in the right direction. I don't think it's there quite yet, but I think they're starting to find their groove, especially Singletary. It took a little while for Mm -hmm. Cromer's group to kind of gel and to see what works and to what doesn't work. I don't think the Buffalo Bills are ever going to be a team with this roster that has a ton of success, just lining up power eye and trying to run it up the middle. I don't think that's their bread and butter. I think when they can get outside, when they can do the pulls and bring the guards and bring the tackles outside and all that stuff, that's when I think that they're going to have success. So I think they're trending in the right direction. I still think there's room for improvement. But that being said, I think they're a more dangerous team on the ground than they were week two, week three, like in those games when nobody was worried about them running the ball. All right, let's take a look at the defense
1: next here on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Sal Capaccio, Matt Bovey, it's always game day in Buffalo. Kind of a mixed bag in the defensive end too, Matt. It was, uh, you know, really good penetration from the D-line. I mean, they held Aaron Rodgers at just over 200 yards passing, but I mean, this is guy that's going to walk into Canton, obviously, when his after his um, career is over, but too much on the ground. Now, it reminded me a bit of, do you remember, <clears throat> excuse me, do you remember the, um, the COVID game that was moved in Buffalo against the Kansas City Chiefs when the Bills just said, hey, we're not going to let Mahomes beat us and and we're just going to let you run. And the Chiefs just, they ran all over the Bills that night, like 250 or 260-something yards. It was crazy. It wasn't to that degree, but it felt like the Bills said, hey, if you want to keep doing that, that's fine. They kept their safeties back. We're just not going to let Aaron Rodgers beat us. And unfortunately, though, that did allow the Packers to run really well. They had a very good night running the football, but it just it never um, never materialized into the kind of production for them. I think they have to be better at stopping the run, but I do think there were circumstances of why they were able to run so well.
0: Yeah, I agree. And one of the clips that has resurfaced on social media in the last 12 hours or so after the game is that video. Do you remember it was from NFL films and it was Butler talking to, that's the passing game coordinator, defensive back, John Butler, Butler, he was talking to the bench and he says the exact quote is we don't care about yards. We care about points. Mm -hmm. I think it was against the Steelers. So it was the Steelers moving the ball down the field and somebody shared it again yesterday. And it was just like we do not care that they are moving the ball down the field and they're taking up these chunk plays. We care about points. So I think their mentality bend, but don't break is way too overused. But I really do think situational football, they're sitting there with a 17 point lead in the second half. And they're like, why are they continue? Even Von Miller said it yesterday. He was. I was shocked at how little they were dropping back with yeah. Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback. He said he even said something to Rodgers about it. So I think from the Bill standpoint, yeah, they need to be better stopping the run. But I also think it's situational because I think it's a little bit. If you give them a little bit and they keep doing it, then you're like, okay, let's just keep letting them get these right. four, five, six yard gains and take forty seconds off the clock every time that they want to run a play. And then by the time that they're going to get down the field. There's not going to be any time left. I mean, that's the thing that was so ridiculous. Like what were the Packers doing? I I have no idea. I don't get it. They took over. They took over after the, I don't remember if it was after the Tyler Bassfield goal in the second half. I think it was after the Tyler Bassfield goal. I think that made it 27 to, I think at the time it was 27 to 10. That sounds right. Mm Mm-hmm. No, uh, no, yeah, 27-10. So it's 27-10. They take over. I think there's like six minutes left in the third quarter. They take all of the rest of the time off in the third quarter. Then they take a minute off into the fourth quarter, and that's where they went for it on fourth and one, and they didn't get it on the great play by Taron Johnson. And it's like, oh, my gosh, you're down 17 points right now, and you just let seven minutes bleed off the clock, and you didn't get a point. Like, that is so egregious. Yeah, you know, that, if you, if you, if you're throwing it and you throw a quick interception or whatever, like, okay, at least you were trying to get back into the game. But when you're just taking all that time off the clock and then you ultimately don't get any points, that's bad. Hey, Aaron Rodgers too. Right. I mean, like,
1: you know, you would think at some point they would have done what Bob Miller suggested and Hey, drop back, throw the ball. But uh, they were willing. It was almost like, it was almost like they wanted to kind of get out of there. Okay. Well, things aren't going really well. And um, they kind of just not wave the white flag necessarily, but necessarily, but I, I don't know. I didn't understand the game plan by the Packers. And you know, I think they wound up hurting themselves. Like you said, now that said the run defense, not great. It was, you know, obviously some circumstances, like I said, not, not that the bills were loading up. I think of the bills, look, I'll put it this way. If the bills were down in the game. They would have put an extra safety down there. They would have tried to stop that run. They were thinking, Hey, we're just not going to get beat deep, not going to get, give up the, uh, the points. But when they did throw the ball, boy, the interior of the defensive line, Tim Settle, Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones, Jordan Phillips. Those guys had a night uh, getting after Aaron Rodgers and, and
0: forcing him into some quick throws. This was the Tim Settle game. We heard from Von Miller after the game, and he was talking about how earlier this week, or excuse me, earlier last week, Tim Settle was talking about how he wanted a breakthrough, how he felt like he wasn't making enough plays, and how he wanted to make his impact felt. And he certainly did that yesterday. You know, he had his best game as a bill yesterday. Jordan Phillips is just... I can't believe the success that this guy is having with the team. And I can't believe after watching him leave and kind of fizzle out in Arizona and not live up to the expectations of the contract that he signed, how they were able to get him back. He just brings that defense, a different edge, mm-hmm. a different mentality. And I know he's more of a rotational depth guy, but they love him. I mean, the most Petty, awesome thing happened yesterday. So after the incomplete pass to Diggs over the middle, I think it was in the fourth quarter, Jair Alexander is doing his celebration, which is like him putting a sword in a holster, basically. And he's basically like standing over Diggs, and he did that twice. Well, on the next play, or maybe two plays later, Matt Milano gets the interception, and Jordan Phillips looks to see that the ball is intercepted. He stands up directly goes to the Packers sideline and finds where the defense is and just starts doing the exact same celebration. And I was just like, oh my God, I was like, that might rub people the wrong way. I love it. I love petty. I love these guys are (laughs) competitors and like the same thing with the digs and Jair Alexander stuff. There were people before the game who were like, oh, he's in his head. He can't play like that. He needs to be smarter. Blah, blah, blah. Talking about Stefan Diggs. Yo, Shut up. (laughs) Like that is the best when these dudes start chirping at each other and then they actually go out there and they execute. I mean, they were both fired up for the game and they both played really good games. Like J.R. Alexander had a strong night. Stefan Diggs also had a strong night. So I know they were both making their comments after the game that were just outstanding. It was basically like a soap opera that was happening in the locker room and in the press conference room. It was great.
1: I, I heard, uh, I, I mean, I, I was in the, uh, locker room and with some other guys, I did not hear immediately what Stefan Diggs said. He said he didn't know who started it, but he finished it. Jair Alexander said, um, he told Stefan Diggs, you can't mess with me and called him a little boy or something like that. Yes. Yes. I, look, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I know that I'm maybe biased here a little bit, but Jair Alexander sounded pretty selfish after the game to me. Like, what are you talking about, dude? You just lost by 10 points and Stephon Diggs went for over hundred yards. I don't care. It wasn't against you. That's the way it sounded to me. Like he's saying, well, it wasn't against me, right? Like, what are you talking about, man?
0: It's bad. It's bad. It's a, like, I just think it's a bad look yeah. for him. I think it's, I think it's a worse look for the entire team that they get an interception down 17 and they sprint down to the end zone <laughs> and they do their whole celebration thing. I get it. It's the NFL. Even Von Miller was like, listen, it's the NFL. You need to produce when you make a big play, you should be able to celebrate the big play. I just think in that setting, if the bills were down 17 points to a team and insert player here, recovered a fumble or got an interception and they run down the field and they celebrate and they still lose people would be criticizing that person. rightfully So, so yeah, that, that was a weird one to me, but I just love it. I mean, it's great for us. I mean, Stefan Diggs did a five-minute press conference after the game. It was must-see TV. Now, you needed to have the delay ready because he probably cursed like 20 times during that five-minute press conference. But my goodness, was it good?
1: I'm glad you brought up getting an interception because the Bills did have one that came from Matt Milano. He almost had two, actually, both very similar on tip balls. But Matt once again was tremendous. Tremaine Edmonds led all; time. he had 16 tackles, I think, overall. Tremaine Edmonds, uh, which was incredible. The linebackers are are both having really good years, but just want to focus on Matt Milano for a second. I think he deserves All Pro consideration, not Pro Bowl, even. I think he deserves All Pro consideration the way he's played this year, Matt.
0: He's really good. He's a game changer. He's all over the field. And the thing that stands out about Milano. This is not a knock on Tremaine Edmonds because Tremaine Edmonds is still the most polarizing player on the Bills team. Some people think that he's great. Some people think that he's terrible. But Matt Milano has always had the knack for for making splash plays, Mm -hmm. for making big tackles, for losses, for Mm -hmm. making interceptions, for forcing all that stuff. He's always had a knack for it. And it's truly impressive because after a while, you realize that it's not just right place, right time. It's not just luck because it continues to happen. This has been his entire career. Matt Milano is really good. I think Matt Milano is probably the most underrated player on the bills defense. I think when you're a visiting team, when you're an outside fan base and you're looking at the bills, you probably think of, okay, they've got Von Miller. They've got Tredavious white. They've got really good safeties with, you know, Micah Hyde when he's there and Jordan Poyer. A lot of people know about Tremaine Edmonds around the league. I don't think the average fan in random NFL cities know who Matt Milano is, but they should because he's that good.
1: Yeah, he had a really strong game. The Bills did have a uh, a negative come out of this game on the injury side, and that is Jordan Poyer uh, once again, hurting his elbow after the game. He told us in the locker room, same elbow that he hurt in the preseason slash training camp, not same injury, though. He said he had an x-ray and also an MRI. He'll get those test results, the MRI results on Monday. Now, Matt and I are recording this on Monday. By the way, happy Halloween to everybody. Recording this on Monday. By the time people listen to this, they might know more of Jordan Poyer's situation than we know as we're sitting here right now. But that's a big blow. He did actually play with the injury for a couple of plays before he came out, had it wrapped. Matt, this gets us to you know, what this team does over the next several weeks, we have Tredavious white situation, which that'll help no matter what getting Tredavious white back, but they might be even thinner now in safety. It was all the talk was about corner for so long. might be safety. We have to see what's going to happen with Jordan Poyer. Will he miss any time at all? How much time will he miss if that's the case? And should the team maybe look to replace him in some way at the trade deadline, it's not replace him. Let let me
0: rephrase that add to their safety depth at the trade deadline. It depends because by the time the trade deadline happens, the Bills should have an outlook on Jordan Poyer's injury timeline. If he's going to miss any time, if he's going to miss significant time, whatever it happens to be. If he is, let's say he's going to miss more than a couple games, then I think that immediately makes safety that much more of a priority. And that has nothing to do with these next couple games, it has more to do with, okay you have one safety who's already missing the entire year. You have another safety who's been banged up multiple times this year. It's just kind of a fail safe for if it does happen down the road in the playoffs and it's too late to make a play. So I think it would be nice to just have a nice veteran safety in your back pocket cuz you like Damar Hamlin, you like Jaquan Johnson. But after that, that's when you really would get concerned if one of those guys were to go down. I mean, you've already had a lot of safety injuries this year. So I still think If you're looking for somebody who's going to come in and make an immediate impact, it's probably a skill position guy or an offensive lineman. But I do think it would be wise of them to try and take a late draft pick and go out and find a veteran safety who might be on an expiring contract or might be on a team that's not very good. Add him and they can be your, let's say, one B to a healthy Jordan Poyer. If Jordan Poyer is your one, a then DeMar Hamlin in that safety could be your one B. And you could almost probably do some sort of rotation. Like you've done with the cornerbacks all year, just to make sure that they're fresh, healthy. And then you play the best two in the playoffs.
1: Yeah. You know, um, I want to have so much faith in Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier's defense because they're so good at this spot, right? They're so good at, keeping things in front of them and not allowing the big play, but we have seen two big plays now between Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson. And if they're going to be in the playoffs against a Patrick Mahomes, a Joe Burrow teams that can, you know, obviously with great quarterbacks, but it doesn't matter Tua, right. I mean, like we saw that happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. that, 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 that concerns me. So we'll see. I mean, there are some options here, which we can get to here in our last segment of it's always game day in Buffalo following the bills, 27, 17 win over the Packers. All right, Matt, you threw out the, um, the tweet, as you always do to ask questions. Mm-hmm. I want to start with the first question because it piggybacks on what we just talked about. And then you can read one that you had. And I want to throw it out specifically because bills backers of Italy. Oh, sweet. Bills Italy has a question. And we want to say, thank you for coming. They were here. They were in Buffalo. I didn't get a chance to see him. Steve Tasker actually hung out with the bills backers of Italy group. They were here in Buffalo. They went to the game Forza Buffalo is what they like to say. Right? So. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for tweeting us a question. Thanks for coming to Buffalo. Hope you guys all had, and girls, guys and girls all had a great experience here in Orchard Park. But the question from Bill's Italy on Twitter is, do you think Benford or Jackson could play safety in an emergency? And I think that could be a solution here. So Christian Benford, when he was drafted, Brandon Mm -hmm. Bean said, we'll start him at corner, but he can play some safety. He did that in college. It might be time to start getting him some safety reps. If Tredavious White is going to be back, which I think he is. You do have a couple extra guys there that you can use, and you don't want to just leave on the bench. who are good players for you. I know they've been rotating there. Cam Lewis has also played a little bit of safety, you know, towards the end of the preseason. They started moving him there. I wonder if Xavier Rhodes can play a little
0: safety on the practice squad in case they need to elevate a veteran, like you said. So there are some options in the building to do that. I agree, but I feel like those are break glass in case of emergency options and not we should go into a game with these as our game plan options. Mm -hmm. I think there should be a distinct difference there. I think if you're sitting in a game and you have an injury at the beginning of the game and you're like, oh, crap, we're screwed, then you can put Christian Benford at safety. Conceivably, you could have Trey White, Dane Jackson, and Kyer Elam be your top three cornerbacks on the boundary, and then you could say, "Okay, well, let's just survive this game, and then we'll figure it out." But that's why I think it is imperative if the Jordan Poyer injury is anything more than a couple weeks that they do go out and find somebody, whether that be in the trade deadline market or whether that be a free agent who's still available at home, just so you have somebody. I think maybe a safety who is a little past their prime and you know, has played the position for their entire career is still probably more trustworthy than a young player who has been spending the entire summer playing a different position and then going back to another position. I think it's a valid point, but I think it's a more valid thing to happen during a game, not as you're preparing for a game, preparing for the rest of your season. All right. So a couple other questions here. T. 25. Questenberry is better at right tackle than Brown. Question mark. That's not really a question. I guess it's is he? What do you think there? Do you think Questenberry is better than Spencer Brown? Do you think it's close? What do you think?
1: I'm okay if David Questenberry is the starting right tackle. Um, I still think there's more for Spencer Brown to more room for him to grow and get better. Um I, I will say, I think that question is a good run blocker. You know, he played in that Tennessee system. I think that, um, I don't know about better. I mean, that's a, that's a tough question. I think that they could have their moments. Spencer Brown at times, I think can look really, really good. Honestly, though, like when Spencer Brown's healthy, I, I would have no issue if the bills decided that David Questenberry was their starting right tackle and, and, you know, rolled with
0: him. I disagree. Actually. I think that you take the younger guy who you drafted in house. And I think right now, Spencer Brown, the highs are higher. The lows are lower. I mm-hmm. think Questenberry is more even keel. Right. So it depends on what you want. If you're the bills and you say, okay, we want the guy who's just more steady Eddie, then you would probably put Questenberry there. But I think with the way that this roster is built with the trajectory, this team is on, I think it's very important for Spencer Brown mm-hmm. to be getting those reps at right tackle, because I do think that he's going to be the right tackle on this team for a long time. I think growing pains, especially for a second year tackle playing in the NFL, that kind of comes with the territory. So, yeah, I understand that. I think it's a good problem to have because I think Questenberry can certainly fill in and plug and play. And it's been a nice piece for them. But I do think when Spencer Brown is healthy, at least personally, he should be the right tackle. Hey, did Aaron Rodgers apologize to you, John Brown, wants to know for being such a jerk last time? No, he did not apologize. Okay. I did, but you know what? I mean, in the defense of Aaron Rodgers, he didn't have a chance to see me. I wasn't down on the field. <laughs> I had my scooter. He was like, you know what? That's what he was looking for you. He didn't he couldn't find you, so. He must have been looking for me. Uh, Somebody told me before the game, they're like, if he sees you or if you see him, you should tell him that you're on the knee scooter because he shoved you eight years ago. And you've never been able to recover since. I was like, yeah, (laughs) that's that's, funny. I was like, that's pretty funny. All right. Here's a couple. We've touched on some of these before. But do you think this is from... I don't even know how to say it. Uh, Do you think Green Bay exposed a weakness in our run defense or the Bills just happy to let them take time off the clock? I'll start. I think it was a little bit of both, but I think it was more of the Bills just being totally okay with the Packers letting the clock bleed, getting down the field, and then not getting points. I think the Bills were just like, what are you doing? Sure, take five and six yard chunks. Just just do it. But you're not going to get back into this game by doing that. And it was right. They didn't at the end of the game. It was still a two possession game when the Packers got the ball back after the bills had to punt and it would have required them to make a 54 yard field goal, recover an onside kick, and then go Mm -hmm. score a touchdown with 40 seconds left and no timeouts. So, I mean, that's very lofty. A lot of things have to happen. So I think it's more bills were okay with it. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I I think so too. Um, Again, I think the game plan was, you know, once they got up, especially it's, Hey, you know, let them run if they want, you know, we're not, I, in fact, I'll tell you a little insight how this works. Like I'm listening to the radio broadcast in my ear in case they throw it down to me or something. And, and Eric Wood said at one point, he said, at some point you might see the safety start to creep down a little bit. And we talked about it on the air, and but you know, but they were up, you know, why do that? And you mm-hmm. might've seen it here or there at a play here or there. By the way, when Demar Hamlin does creep down, he is a physical guy. I mean, really, the first play of the game, he came down from a safety spot, made a great read, made a great tackle. So, you know, we'll see. Um I, I we'll see going forward if teams try to do that. Not many teams have an Aaron Jones, though. I mean, he's a really good running back, and they ran the ball really well. And to back it up with AJ Dillon, right? The Bills aren't gonna see that many incredible run teams going forward, even this coming week. Brees Hall is out, obviously. I don't know. I mean, I don't think the jets will try to come up with that game plan to me. The jets will actually try to do the same game plan as the Packers. Cause I don't think they want Zach Wilson standing back there and facing that Bill's pass rush. I just don't think the jets will be able to do that.
0: Now that you say that though, I'm starting to think and the, you know, the brains churning a little bit. So yeah, I don't think the, well, not just new England. So you have the jets game this week, whatever, but you want to talk about scary running backs coming up. You got Delvin cook, you yep. got Nick Chubb. Yep. Maybe Kareem Hunt if he's still in Cleveland. And but that whole Ramon. Cleveland run game, you're right. That's what I mean. And you got Ramondre Stevenson. So we're gonna find out how big of a concern it is for the Bills very shortly here. Here's the difference, though. Here's what I would tell you.
1: Those teams don't have Aaron Rodgers. Yes. You know, you true. you you can you can play a little bit differently without the threat of, hey, there's a Hall of Fame quarterback throwing down the field on us, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if Jacoby Brissett beats you, yeah, hey. Jacoby Brissett beat us, right? What what do we, come on, ridiculous, right? But I agree with you. Like, it is something they have to, look, I I think the general theme from both of us here is, if I may, we're not overly concerned about it, but it's something to keep an eye on, right? Like, hey, they, they gotta be better at it not really too worried right now. They've been the number one rush defense in the league this year, generally because teams have to throw on them anyway. And if you can do what you're supposed to do on offense, you're going to make teams more one dimensional. Anyway, they did shut down Derrick Henry and the Titans, by the way, when yeah, they wanted to run the ball. So, you know, we've said, and, and the Baltimore Ravens for the most part, right? Those are mm-hmm. good run teams. So that's how that works. Hey, before we head on out of here, um, trade deadline is yeah. Tuesday at 4 PM Tradavius white, can no longer practice after Tuesday, but they do have until Wednesday at four PM to activate him. They get an extra day. They get an extra day to evaluate his practice situation. The window of him practicing, and I'd have to think he gets activated. I can't imagine he's not yeah. being activated, right? Yeah. Okay. So what about the trade deadline though? And what do you think? This um, there was some, there's been some reports about running backs and kicking tires. I don't really. I don't know. I think there's there's not a lot of stuff there. I, I I just don't believe that they're in on a guy like Alvin Kamara, and what it would cost. But what do you think about the trade deadline and what they might do?
0: I think they're going to be aggressive. I think they re and I don't think it has anything like you, we talked about this in the last episode. It has nothing to do with the chiefs going out and making a move or other right. teams going out and making a move. I don't think this is reactionary whatsoever. That being said, I think they do realize the window that they're in they see mm-hmm. like, okay, this is the best team we might ever have. We're six and one. We want to win a Super Bowl. Who can help put us over the edge? So I think a lot's going to depend on, quite frankly, Odell Beckham Jr. Like, if they're actually in on Odell Beckham Jr. and it seems like they're going to get him, then they're probably not going to make any moves. Or maybe they're going to make a small move for a safety or for an interior offensive lineman, something that requires a day three draft pick. If they don't sign Odell Beckham Jr., That's when I think they might start to call around to teams for some sort of playmaker, whether it's a receiver, whether it's a running back, whether it's another tight end. I just, Brandon Bean, by nature, has always shown that he's more aggressive, especially like just think about it. Like they go out and they spent $120 million to sign Von Miller. They've made all of these trades during the draft to either move up the board, to move down. Brandon Bean says sometimes the hardest thing for him is to sit still and not make a move. You're the GM of a team that's six and one that has Josh Allen as a quarterback and one of the best defenses in the NFL. I'm imagining you're like, okay, let's go do it. Like I said last week, nobody cares if you lose a third or a fourth or a fifth round pick and you end up going to the Super Bowl. Nobody's gonna ever critique you for that. So go find somebody who can make a difference. Like I love, and I'm I'm not saying this is a reaction to this. I love the Tony move for the Chiefs. I love it. I think that's such a smart gamble. If you're Kansas city to go get a playmaker who hasn't lived up to the expectations, who could be a difference maker and who could be really, really good in your offense. Go find somebody like that or go find somebody on defense. I don't think they have to. That's also a clear distinction. I think they can still win a super bowl if they make no moves by tomorrow at four o'clock, but I think they should.
1: The bills are 12 and a half point favorites at the New York jets next
0: week you're not traveling there are you yeah you know what I'm gonna that's why you of the to do that I don't know yet so I have a doctor's appointment on Wednesday to look at the foot I'm leaning in the direction of no just because Dude, it's gonna be seventy three degrees on Sunday at the game oh is it really yeah It's gonna be, it's gonna be beautiful. beautiful so I mean I mean we'll definitely send somebody from the station one of my colleagues will for sure go but I just think New York is one of those trips that We've talked about this on the podcast. I'm not a big road trip guy. I do not like just sitting in a car. But New York is a trip for us that we always drive because it seems like the convenience of it is, you know, far exceeds the convenience of flying. It's different for you on the charter there, Seth. Sure, sure. But yeah. but for Pretty us convenient. You fly, you know, you fly into one of the airports, you get a rental car. By the time you do that and you wait at the airport, you get your bags, you get to the rental car. You're probably spending like four hours doing everything that you need to do. You can hop in a car and get to MetLife in six if you're driving from Buffalo. And there is the convenience of basically just like right when the game's done and you finish your work, you get in a car and you head back. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to go. But I'm gonna say it's—I mean—it's a game time decision. Well, it's not a game. It's not a game time decision. It's a—it's a Wednesday afternoon decision. Well, uh, any Bills Mafia who wants to uh, head out to New York
1: for the game should be good. Great weather. I'm looking. The early forecast looks 73 degrees. All weekend, by the way, Saturday and Sunday. There's some rain coming, like I think it's Monday, so hopefully it doesn't arrive too soon. But looks like it's going to be a great, great weekend out there. And then, uh, real quick, we are doing this on Halloween. We're recording. By the time people mm-hmm. listen, Halloween is over. The perfect, perfect costume for you. You should definitely go as a... Uh, reporter with an injury. That's what you should go as you, you, you mean
0: you got everything right there. The scooter is right there. What are you? I'm a reporter with an injury. Oh, okay. Get some candy. Down. I, I told some bills employees yesterday. I was like, Hey, can I get a uh, Tommy Doyle Jersey? Cause he was ripping around the, he was ripping around the knee scooter at training camp earlier yeah, this year yeah, yeah, or yeah, when he yeah. got injured. So I was like, Oh, I could, you know, go as Tommy Doyle, but it's, it's funny. Like we have a show every Monday night at the station at seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. So I think at seven o'clock, most trick or treating is like winding down by eight, right? Isn't the window four to eight? Pretty usually? much. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean like my, my eight year old, like I don't want to be up there out there too much past like eight o'clock basically. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. So I last week before or two weeks ago, whatever it was, I was walking around the grocery store and I bought a big bag of Halloween candy just so we had it at the house. Cause I knew my wife was going to have to be there handing it out. And I bought one of those bags that was a combo. I'm looking at it right now. It's m ms Milky Way, three Musketeers, Twix and Snickers. I was like, that's a good combination. It was like, if, if you, were a kid and you went up to a house and you got any of those candies, I think you'd be happy. But then I opened the bag and it's those little ones. It's not the fun size ones. It's the little ones, real tiny ones, real tiny. So I called my wife and I was like, Hey, I need you to pick up some candy for tonight. Because we might have to go into this as the emergency supply, <laughs> but I don't want some cute little kid to come up with this awesome costume and be like, hey, trick or treat. And then I throw in these two <laughs> candies that look like they were at a desk candy jar from, you know, yeah, it's we uh, I, I we don't a, get a, ton a mistake. Of,
1: we don't get a ton of trick or treaters at my house. I live in the city, but. For some reason, my street just—it's more like a couple blocks away where everybody is, and like you know, not as much on my street. We do get a few here there, so uh, but we'll be out there. And uh, Max, um I don't know—he's he, a transformer, Bumblebee, and he's got the—he's got this oh, car, cool. and he literally like he's down on the ground. It's a car, and then all of a sudden the car pops up, and it's him coming out of the costume, right? Kind of like popping out of a cake a little bit. So you have fun with it, right? Hey, um yeah. hey, have a uh, have a good weekend. I hope a uh, we, good week. Excuse me. I hope that you're next appointment for your foot goes really well. And, you know, Thank you. maybe, maybe see you in New York too. Unfortunately though, I know you, if you had a really good foot, you'd be golfing on Saturday down in New York in long Island. Oh. Or something.
0: Yeah, it's actually, I was talking to Jay Skirsky, the Buffalo news about this about a month ago before I knew everything that was going on. This is the last weekend, I believe for Beth page black. And we have have done that a couple times going down. Yeah, I think in 19, we did it back to back weekends. We did it for the jets game and we did it for the giants game. It's such an awesome course. And it's such a good deal. If you're somebody who likes golf, because if you're a New York state resident, I think it's 75 bucks, which is less than it costs to play some of the public courses here, but it's one of the. You know, best, most challenging public courses in the world. So, yeah, I, I was thinking about doing Beth Page Black, but I the the surgery was strategically planned to be done once golf season was done. <laughs> so, I had yep. two criteria: I needed a lot of games at home, which there are three of the four games during this month are at yep. home, and then golf season was done. So, it checks both of those boxes.
1: Well, hope everybody has a, a great beginning of November and. We will talk to everybody later in the week as we preview the Bills and the Jets. For Matt Bovam, Sal Capaccio, it's always game day in Buffalo. Download, subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you pod.